morning, community of faith. How are we doing today? <clears throat> All right, good to hear that. I love that story about Marco in Cancun. And I, I, I put my arm around him and I said, you're now the chaplain, the personal chaplain of all the narco-traficantes. And it's like <laughs> El Chapo's personal pastor, I'm going to start calling him, you know. It's amazing. We talked last week about what it's going to take. It's going to cost us to really see all that God has and he's dreaming for us to become, for healing to come. What it really will cost us to be the church. And the big thing is it costs us our comfort zone, doesn't it? So I'm going to start out this morning, let's be the church. I want you to be really honest with me. How many of you are going through really, really difficult times? Would you just lift your hand up? Let me ask you even a, a more personal question. How many of you, you would say this is the most difficult time I've had in my life, or at least it's up there even with the most difficult time I've ever had in my life. Raise your hand up. Now, those of you raising your hands right now, I want you to stand up, if you will, okay? I know, I know it's freaking you out, your comfort zone, right? I get that. Okay, church, look around. You see people that are standing near you? I want you to go and put your hands on them. I'm gonna pray over them, okay? So you go find someone that's standing up. Don't let anybody not have somebody, okay? And we're gonna pray. We're gonna be the church today. I know it's a big place, but this makes it really small and really personal and God knows your name and you're here for a reason. And it's so that we can pray over you. You've got brothers and sisters that love you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the courage of each one of these that stood up. And God, this deep hurt, this deep thing that's going on in their life, I'm asking you for a breakthrough, I'm asking you for a miracle. I'm asking you to be so strong and so real in their life. You said that the church could open the keys to the kingdom, that the church could pray, God, your will come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we would see it happen. And so we claim that in each and every one of these lives. We claim that in each and every one of these situations. Come kingdom of God upon us, be done will of God in and through us, and God, you do your miracle today. Let it start in this moment, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. Life is hard. A lot of times you feel like giving up. I want you to pull out your sermon notes because I wanna to talk to you today, what do you do when you feel like giving up? We're gonna look at a couple of heroes in the Bible and what they did and the times that they were going through. The first is Nehemiah. We'll, we'll be looking at, at Nehemiah in uh, chapter four and what we're gonna find is that Nehemiah was a right hand of the, one of the great kings of history. He was also a Jew and he lived at a time when the Jewish people had gone off to exile and this, this king had, the, this whole nation had conquered Israel destroyed Jerusalem, and they were 70 years over there, and now it's time for them to go back. Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied 70 years before that they would be in exile for 70 years. So the first couple of waves of the Israelites had gone back to Jerusalem. They're trying to rebuild the wall. Word comes to Nehemiah, who's high up in the hierarchy of the new kingdom. He said it, that the wall is struggling, that they're really struggling with it. And so he 
goes and asks, he beseeches the king, can I go back and help build the wall? And the king gives him permission. But when Nehemiah gets back, it's way harder than he thought that it was going to be. And I want you to see in the midst of this really hard time how Nehemiah kept from giving up. And it's the same way that, that we do it, okay? First, let's look at why we give up, okay? They're 52 days into trying to rebuild the wall. They thought they would have it done in about 50 days, and it's only halfway built up. And so they're really discouraged. And one of the things that happens is they've tired out. They're fatigued. So I want you to write that down. The first thing that causes us to give up is fatigue. Fatigue. It says this in chapter 4, verse 10 of Nehemiah. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, wearing out, physically exhausted. The way that God made this physical body of ours. When you're physically down, it's really hard to be emotionally up, isn't it? Sometimes when I'm counseling, the, the thing that I recommend to people when they're really discouraged, feeling like giving up, just go home and try to get a good night's sleep for once because things will look different in the morning. You know, we need to rest. God says that. That's, in fact, one of the big commandments that we're to rest. Frederick Taylor, in 1898, he did a scientific study that showed that workers are more productive if they have some rest breaks during the work day. And so he invented this thing called the coffee break. Aren't you grateful for Frederick Taylor, right? There was no coffee break before then. But he, he said, we just need to rest from time to time. Well, when does fatigue usually set in? In, in verse 6 of chapter 4, it says, we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height. It's usually at about the midpoint of something, right? You know, when you start a new project, you're all pumped and you're all excited. When you start a new marriage, you're really excited. When you start something new, a new job, you're excited. You get in there, you're nervous, but there's all this energy. But as the grind continues on, you know, you kind of get to this midpoint. I remember the last time I was in a really serious diet and I got, I, I had lost quite a bit of weight and I was really, you know, right, kind of in the midpoint of my goal. And I just looked at what I still had to lose. And I said, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I, I just felt like giving up right in the middle of all of that. Have you felt like that before? And that's what happens. It's like you're climbing the mountain and you get about halfway up and you look back and you see how far back it is. And then you look up and see how far it is. And you think, I don't think it's God's will for me to go to the top. You know, I, I, I'm just feeling like maybe he wants me to turn around now, you know? And, and we can even spiritualize it, right? So discouragement sets in and a lot of people don't complete what they need to complete. Another thing, not only fatigue, but frustration. Look what the, the, the Bible says in verse 10. It says, there is so much rubble. They said, we're tired and there is so much rubble. Frustration, the rubble that builds up. He's talking about the litter, the, the, you know, all of the broken wall, the half broken bricks, the ceramics, all the stuff that's just piled up. There's rubble all around. They have to fight through that every time. Hurricane Harvey, some of you lived in a house that you were trying to, you know, redo while you had to still live in it. There was rubble, right? It's really difficult. Some of you can attest to that. I know when I was in college, I worked 
in construction in the summers. Not because I was great with a hammer and nails. Uh, they had me picking up the trash at the, at the construction sites. And, you know, it's crazy, but you build a house and there is so much rubble. I, I mean, the worst part, some of you who just moved into a new house, you can't even imagine what was in your bathtub. You don't want to imagine what was in your bathtub, you know? But that was my job, like to clean that out, you know? And, and there was so much rubble around. About once a year, I go into my closet. I call it Closet Reorganization Day. And I pull out all my clothes and a bunch of the books and a bunch of other stuff in there. I, I kind of set them all in a pile and then I stare at them for like three hours. And then I get really discouraged and I stick them all back in the way they were. And uh, wait till next year, and it'll be closet reorganization day. I don't know, I've done that. It's kind of become a tradition. But it just is discouraging, isn't it? Rubble. And we have that in our lives. What about that stuff that's collecting over there, you know, on the shelf in the bedroom? You know, why is all the horizontal, I mean, it's like things just multiply, don't they? I mean, it's like little bunnies. That's why they call them dust bunnies, I think. Because all of a sudden you're looking and he goes, I thought there was only two. Now there's eight of them over there running around, you know. It, it just seems like it just multiplies. But some of us, we have even a deeper rubble. The rubble of a terrible past. Tried to forget the past, but it just keeps coming back to haunt me. Some of us have the rubble of, uh, of a loneliness and isolation. Trying to figure out how to break. I guess I'm just always going to be Lonely. I'm, it's just, I, I don't know what the deal is with me. But for some, we were on a good path at one time, but we blew it so bad. Is there any hope? Is there any hope now that we can get back on a path that, that, that is good and, and, and moving forward and what we hoped it would be? Rubble. So there's frustration. And then along with that comes failure. Write that down. Failure. Same verse, verse 10, it says we're tired, we're fatigued. There's so much rubble and we cannot rebuild the wall. They're saying, why did we ever get into this project? Why did we ever think we could do this? We thought when we started that we could get this thing built up in, in like 50 days and here it is 52 days in and it's like halfway done and we're exhausted. We've failed, we didn't do it. On time, Their original deadline wasn't met. What about you when you fail? When, when you have a deadline for yourself or you said, I, I'm going to lose this much weight by this time or I'm going to, you know, do these different things by the, and you don't get there. What do you do? What these people, they ended up just, they, they whined. They got discouraged. How do you react to failure? Do you give in to self-pity? Do you blame yourself? Do you blame others around you? Do you start complaining? And then the last thing that causes us to give up is fear. Fear. Not only was all this going on, not only were they tired and there's all this rubble and, and you know, they, they, they didn't meet their deadline, but listen to this, verse 11. Also our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will kill them and put an end to their work. Fear. The background of the story is there's some enemies here that don't want them to rebuild the wall because they want to keep Jerusalem weak. They're the enemies of Jerusalem surrounding out there and they're saying don't build the wall back up because then you'll get strong again and we're not for that. 
They even sent word to the king that had sent Nehemiah. Hey, they're trying to get strong and they're going to rebel against you and they get this wall built up, which is a lie. And then they began to ridicule them. And you'll never get this built. You'll never do it. And then they said, they began to criticize. How many of you love it when people criticize you? Not fun, is it? Criticism. But then they went further and then they started making death threats and they said, you keep working on the wall and we're going to sneak in among you when you least expect it and we're going to kill every last one of you. So they're afraid. What fears are causing you to be discouraged this morning? Fear of embarrassment? Fear of failure? Fear of having to be perfect? You know when you're discouraged because of fear? You know how you know that? It's because you have this want to to run. I, I want to get out of this job. I want to get out of this marriage. I want to get out of this. This is, this is too much. This is overwhelming. This is, I'm going to run. And you feel that I've got to escape the demands, the pressures. If you're discouraged, inevitably, you can look back and it's going to be some of these things or one of them in particular that, that's causing it. But thank God the antidote for giving up is right here in this passage too in Nehemiah. So let's look at the cure for giving up. And again, I, I, I told you last week that the principles of God are simple. So simple that a child that's three, four, five years old can understand. But that doesn't mean that they're easy because they're going to cost us. They're going to cost us, especially our comfort zone, but it's going to cost us. And Jesus said that. So the cure for giving up, first, reset your priorities. Reset your priorities. When you're discouraged, you don't feel like being around people. You feel like just being alone. You know, that's why I'm so proud of you that stood up. So proud of all of you that raised your hands. We'll be praying for all of you. But especially those of you that stood up and said, I'm here and it's the toughest time of my life, but I've chosen to be in church. You're in the right place. You've reset your priorities because, you know, you just feel like I'm just going to stay home. I don't want to see anybody. I'm just going to worship at St. Mattress. I'm going to, you know, be there and do this. That's what you feel like doing. You feel like hiding. Look what Nehemiah, he saw the people get discouraged and he said, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. He said, I want to get you in little groups of families. Now we talked last week about how the church is a family and, and how so many of us grew up in families full of dysfunction and now we have a new family this church and as we get together and we support one another but you can't do it very easily in a setting like this you have to get in smaller groups so I want to encourage you we have a, a a new thing that we started a few weeks ago called starting point and I'm even having all of the staff go through it so everyone in this room can go through that and what it is it's it's right before the Saturday night service for an hour or in between these two services. In fact, if you go up and tell them that you want to be in starting point, you can do it today probably. They'll try to fit you in as best possible. And if not today, really soon because we're trying to do it as quickly as possible. But you go through, you find out all about the dream of the church in, in an hour before the next service, okay? And you find out what God wants to do and what we're dreaming of 
but the best part is that there's only about 20 or so at a time. So they take each one of you and talk to you over the next few weeks and get you plugged in to serving and to support and to ministry and to a group. And they help you walk through that. And so like you find the, I mean, it's like experimental. Doesn't mean the first thing you get in, you're gonna love it. You might say, well, that's not really my niche and they'll help you, but they're gonna walk with you through it. That's the amazing thing about Starting Point. And I love it because it's plugging us in. It's causing us to truly become church. I want you to do that, okay? They did a, a series of studies on high-performance people. They interviewed thousands of high performers and, and they figured out a huge factor that's common to every single one. They were so different in so many ways, but every single one of them had a support group, a strong group of relationship that they could count on to walk with, to not be overcome by discouragement. And that's what Nehemiah did. He grouped them by families so that they wouldn't be just alone at the wall and they would be together. And 50 times in the New Testament, it says the, the phrase one another, encourage one another, love one another, be with one another. Don't neglect getting together each with the other. If you're out there as a lone ranger, you're gonna get discouraged. So I want you to reset your priorities. But the other thing I want you to do, and this is huge, our mind is so powerful, this this mind that God gave us is so powerful. The thoughts that we think are so powerful. I want you to do a second thing. Not only reset your priorities, but recall to mind. It's something specific that God tells us to do. One of the most powerful tools our mind has is the power of recall, but we have to engage it. The people complained about rubble right? But let me ask you a question. When they're in the halfway done and all of a sudden they start complaining about rubble, wasn't the rubble always there? I mean, there was more rubble in the beginning, right? Because they used some of it to repair the wall. But now all of a sudden they said, there is so much rubble. What happened? They had become rubble gazers. See, they had taken their eyes off God in the beginning. They said, God, you've given us something amazing to do. And we see you and we see the plan and we see what you want. But as they got going and it got really hard, they do what we do and they stopped looking at God and they started looking at circumstances. And they started looking at what's going on right around them. They started seeing all the rubble. Are you a God gazer or a rubble gazer this morning? Are you seeing all the, the, the stuff that's going on? Listen to what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said, I said to them, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Recall, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. See, anxiety comes when we look at our circumstances and then look at our ability. But faith comes when we look at our circumstances and then we look at God's ability. And that brings us to Jeremiah. As bad as the situation was when Nehemiah lived, 70 years before, the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying, and it was really the worst time that anybody could live. There's been many times in history that this is repeated, but Jeremiah lived in a city 
that was under siege and then defeated by a great enemy. And it was a horrific, horrific time. And what Jeremiah is trying to tell us when he sees, I mean, there's dead bodies of little children in the streets. There are people wiped out, whole families wiped out by this invading force. There are many that were taken away as captives. All of the best, all of the brightest. Jeremiah in his little book called Lamentations, because it's a lament for all that's happening in Jerusalem. He compares Jerusalem to a, a, a ravaged woman whose walls are broken down and her, even the, her inner temple ha, has been destroyed and desecrated. And he's saying it's horrific what's happening around us. And he's saying God is completely consistent in all he does, but he is so very complicated. His plans go so far beyond this earthly plane and this earthly life and out into eternity and, and plans for us out there that we can't even understand anything about what he's doing. You'll never find a contradiction in his character, but sometimes you have to work really hard to understand him. He's so other than us. And Jeremiah wrote this little book of Lamentations as Jerusalem's destroyed in 587 BC by Babylon. Loss of life, starvation, siege. But in the middle of his little book, this is the amazing thing. It's all about all the terrible things that are happening, how his eyes, he's just weeping rivers of water, rivers of tears. And, and right in the very center of this little five chapter book comes the most precious words that God has ever put in the mouth of a prophet or of a people. And those are the ones I want to read. Let me just read it to you. Jeremiah says, my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Can you identify with that? So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers. He's looking around and he's seeing all this terrible stuff and it's bowed down within me. There he is. He's bowed down. He's broken down. Babylon has come and defeated Jerusalem. The dead bodies in the street, starvation, despair. He says, my eyes are an unending river of tears. You know, when tragedy strikes, sometimes we have this, this tendency to try to ignore the pain or we'll give little kind of flippant, try to superficial platitudes to each other. We'll cheer up. God's still on his throne. That's not helpful. Okay. And, and those words, even if we have the desire to help, but words can hurt. Lamentation says there's a danger in stuffing our emotions. And when you think about it, you think about it, God wants us to grieve. Lamentations, the lament is not a lack of faith. For Jeremiah, it's because God is, is on the throne that he's able to cry out like this. And when you think about it, if we're going to come to the great physician and we're going to cover up and hide our deepest mortal wounds? No, that's not what you do. You open them up to him. You let him see them. You speak honestly to him. You show him the deep hurt of your life. That's where healing is going to come from. Jeremiah goes on and this is what he says. This 
I recall. There it is, recall. This I recall to mind. It's something that he had to do. It's a choice he had to make. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. His loving kindnesses, his compassions, they're new every morning. Why are they new every morning? Because yesterday's mercies were bad or weak? No. It's because they were yesterday's. Yesterday's mercies were for yesterday's burdens. Jesus said this really interesting thing in, in the book of Matthew. He said, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Each day has troubles. Did you know that? Right now we're having Sunday troubles. Some of you are having a lot of trouble. It's a Sunday trouble. But a lot of you are worrying about Monday trouble, Tuesday trouble, Wednesday. You're getting way out there. And God's not giving you grace or mercy for that. He doesn't say we shouldn't plan. But some of you are worried about something that's out there. And he says, when it comes to Monday, I'll give you Monday mercies for Monday trouble. I'm going to see you either live with God day by day or you don't live with God at all because he is the great I am. That's who he is. That's what he does. And he wants us to experience that with him. You can't live on Saturday mercies today. You have to have mercies this morning. But God will show up every morning with enough new mercy to get us through all of today's troubles. You know, one of the things that, that excites me is when you come to the end of a day and you go like, I barely made it through today. I just say, stop and say, thank you, God. I barely made it through today. Congratulations, you barely made it, but you had sufficient mercy to make it through. You know, he didn't say, I'm gonna, some of you are going like, now I'm gonna go to bed and I gotta wake up in the morning and you're all worried about tomorrow. And what Jeremiah is saying let me tell you what I've discovered in the midst of the worst moment of my life. When I wake up in the morning, God's already going to be there. He's going to welcome me into a new day, and he's going to have enough mercy for that day. Quit worrying about tomorrow. It's interesting how they go together. Each day has enough trouble, but each day will have enough mercy for the child of God as we're walking through that together. What woke you up this morning? You might think it was the alarm clock or it was old Grouchy over there, you know. <laughs> Punching you and saying, Tiny, we got to get up and go to church. I don't want to go to church. Got to go to church. Why should I have to go to church? Because you're the preacher. You know, it's like. <laughs> you think I don't identify with you, but I do. All right. And, and, and think about that, though. All through the night, God was faithful. When you fell asleep, you gave up all control and you drifted into unconsciousness and it was God who kept your heart beating. It was God who kept filling your lungs with air all night long. You were helpless, you were asleep and God in his mercy, he kept doing that. He watched over you all night and then opened your eyes so you could enjoy a new day. It always seems ironic to me and foolish that the first few moments of full light 
after a full night of being totally unaware and totally dependent on God, we wake up and we're like, okay, I've got to control today. I've got to be in charge. I've got to figure this out today. I've got to, I've got to be God today. You're not God. You're a terrible God. Nobody wants you to be God. You're not God, okay? There's only one God. And he's saying, I, I don't want you to go into this independent self-trust mode. Eskimos used to believe that when you go to sleep every night, you die. And every morning is a new resurrection, a brand new day. Back in that day, the Eskimos, they didn't have any uh, big stress or heart troubles or anything like that because they were so stress-free. Every night they died. Every morning was a resurrection. I kind of like the feel of that. It, it, it's like Jesus standing over your bed like he stood over the bed of the little dead girl in the Gospels. And remember, he reached out his hand and he picked up her little dead hand and he said, Talitha kum, which in Aramaic that he spoke means little girl, arise. Ladies, that's what he did this morning. So he'd been waiting all through the long night and he saw you this morning and he knows you're hurt and he knows what's going on. He saw the tears that you cried last night, deep in the night, and he still, he reaches down and he says, little girl, get up. It's a new resurrection. It's a new day. It's a, do, a, a new moment. It's you and me today. And I will give you mercy. And I will give you compassion. And I will give you my loving kindnesses today. Sufficient for today's trouble. Little boy. Man, when you woke up this morning, you thought, got all this on my shoulders, all this on my back. He was saying, little boy, arise. Get up. I got this. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you alone. I am who I am. I am the great I am. I've been here waiting for you in this moment. And I've got mercy and grace for you. Yesterday's failures and difficulties are gone. Today's a brand new moment. I want you to see one last thing that he wants us to do as he wakes us into this resurrection. He says, go on offense. We'll go get back to Nehemiah for just a minute. Nehemiah, one of the great verses of my life that I've claimed for myself is this one. Nehemiah 4.14, it says, Remember the Lord and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Some of us, we're back on our heels. But don't give in to discouragement. Don't give in to discouragement. Fight. Don't just roll over and play dead. Fight. Drop to your knees and fight like a warrior. That's how you do it. You do it in prayer. Don't be surprised if your family feels like a war zone in this culture, this prodigal culture of ours. But instead of fighting each other, fight for each other. Reggie Joyner tells the story of a time that he and his little seventh grade daughter, Rebecca, got into a huge major blow up. And just said things they didn't mean to each other, and it was just, it was bad. In fact, he was so upset, he turned around, slammed the door, walked out of the house, got in the car, and began to drive, because he was so upset, he just needed to drive, and he's driving around. He had driven around for about 15 minutes. His cell phone rang, and he saw it was Rebecca, so he answered it, and she said, Daddy, I'm sorry for what I said. I didn't mean it, but Daddy, why did you leave? Why did you leave? I just need to know that our relationship is worth fighting for. And Reggie Joyner said it opened his eyes. And he said, 
I speak all over the country to students and I've met tens of thousands of teenagers. And he said, I don't have statistical proof of this, but I can tell you that one after the other after the other are saying, why don't you fight for me, mom, dad? So interesting because it's so hard. That doesn't mean you don't use tough love. That doesn't mean that there's not boundaries, but don't give up on your sons and daughters. It's a tragic mistake. It's a myth to think that they don't need you. It's a mistake to think that you can't do anything. Do all your children know that you'll never stop pursuing them or fighting? Chip Clark says this. He writes this. He says, moms and dads need to see their parental role as a marathon. Recognizing that building a relationship in which their child trusts them is even more important than whether they can trust their child regarding the immediate issues of the day. Basically, what this whole thing is saying is life is hard. That's what Jesus says. But God is good. Susan Shelley's little boy was born at 8.20 p.m. and died at 8.22 p.m. Two minutes later. A nurse came in, kind of brusquely asked for the death certificate. Did you have a name for the baby? And Susan said, I do. He has a name. He still has a name. His name is Tobiah. It means God is good. And I know he's with God right now. And I know he's alive right now. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. My amazing in-laws, Archie and Linda, they're watching right now. I love you guys so much. I'm so proud of your example for Laura and me. Linda's had some uh, debilitating health issues of, of late, really tough to deal with. But Archie was telling Laura as she flew there to be with him this last week, about a week, little over a week ago, he said every morning when we get up, we have our, our wedding rings on the, on the little uh, table that's right beside the bed. And I pick mine up and I put it on and I say, for better or for worse. And she picks hers up and puts it on and says, in sickness and in health. And I think, they get it. Life is hard, but God is good. I want to ask you something. Do you remember that? It's a great battle of our life to remember that God is good. It's a great battle of our life to remember his faithfulness. It's a great battle, the great battle of our life to recall to mind his goodness. I've asked the band to come back out. And what I want them to do, Ashley's gonna sing a song for you. And I'm gonna just let you, you can just sit there and let it wash over you or you can stand and, and, and claim it for yourself or you can sing it with her. You can do whatever you need to do. This is for you. I'm gonna ask you not to move and not to distract anybody because this is our moment to remember. He's here, the great physician. Open up your mortal wounds to him and let him touch and heal you and watch what he does. As Ashley sings, remember. Remember.
for us. Ashley, come sing over us. His faithfulness, his goodness, he's here, he loves you, sufficient for today. We're gonna have some people up here to pray for you. We love you, community of faith. And as you go out, remember, okay? Let's remember today. We'll see you next week. I love you so much.